0: This episode of Super Pulp Science is brought to you by The Automatic Age by GMB Kamichek. The story of a father and son navigating an automated apocalypse. Pick up your copy today at greatplains.nb.ca.
1: Attention, citizens! It's time for Super Pulp Science! This is Super Pulp Science, where we talk about how genre gets made. I'm here with my long-suffering co-host, Justin Curry, known the world over as Chasing Artwork. Also suffering with us today on the podcast is Dan Vadebancur, our fearless producer. Justin has a beef with the whole wide internet,
2: and he's going to tell us all about it no no beef um i just thought it'd be interesting to talk come on, about
1: come are to set us up so the seo is better <laughs> we have to be angry we have to hate things that's how people right. find stuff to see on the internet
2: more interesting um so just recently like what 10 days ago the new justice league four-hour snyder cut was released and uh for those of you who aren't familiar with with that um the justice league came out five five years ago right um during production of the justice no. league movie um zach snyder's oh, yeah. daughter passed away so he had to step away from the project when it was almost done um because of the the family and uh who came in joss whedon came in and completed the film and so there was one movie that was almost finished and then another director came in and I think there was also some panicking on the studio's end where this movie was was pretty dark and pretty gritty. And they were like, make it more Avengers, make it more Marvel, Joss Whedon, like you did with the Avengers, make it more like that. So Joss Whedon did a whole bunch of reshoots and injected a bunch of jokes in there and made it more colorful and kind of more like a Marvel movie and cut out like 80 minutes of, what was a four hour, he had four hours of stuff and he, he, yeah. Um, So what we got was the Justice League that Joss Whedon kind of patched up and and released. And it was met with pretty lukewarm reviews. I don't think anybody was super excited about the Justice League movie. Um, And then on Twitter and on the internet, there was this growing movement of people who wanted to see the original um, vision of the movie release. They wanted the Snyder cut released. And then um, that went on for a couple of years and then COVID hit. So suddenly movie companies and, and um, you can't really make any new movies right now. You can't be producing new content because everybody has to be separated. Logistics are a nightmare. It's so hard to make new content. So I think somebody at DC went, okay, well, we've got this, all this unused footage. We, we can't be making new stuff. Like maybe we go back and we release the Snyder cut that the internet has been clamoring for. And so they did exactly that. They spent million, like $20 million or something like that putting together the original edit of the movie. And I just thought that was like, I don't know if anything like this has really ever been done. Like there's been director cuts released of other movies. You know, if there's enough, enough interest for the Blade Runner director's cut, there's stuff like that released, but there's never been a movie that kind of flopped opening and then the studio kind of went away and retooled it and released it again like they've done with this. And I think that's, I think it's a really important time in film history that this happened because now that this has happened, like uh, Solo is another one. Solo started with those two directors from the Lego movie and the studio didn't like how it was going. So they brought in another director to finish it Maybe are they Ron gonna Howard go back? And just... Ron Howard came in and, and yeah. finished it, but I want to see that original version, the original vision of the solo movie that was funny. Why why not re-release solo under this that version? You know, like um, and then Greg and I were kind of talking how this happens in video games all the time. Video games are launched, and if they have a lukewarm re- like launch and they're full of bugs or their features aren't quite you know what people want they'll go and they'll do a huge update and then release a patch and then so suddenly it's like a new game they've fixed all these things they've redid all these things they've listened to their audience and they've released a patch to make almost you know make a new version of their game that people are then more excited about there's all these examples of games that launched didn't do so great and then a couple patches later suddenly they're gaining popularity and and getting attention because they've been fixed, quote unquote.
1: It's almost like what you're describing is a scenario where the hype machine lied, and then people were upset that they were lied to, and then like with anything, if you took more time, attention, and energy, you could actually make it good. I'm looking at you, cyberpunk.
2: Rushed. Right, yeah. Um, too rush, just the rush. I, well,
0: that one actually, I think, well, it took a very long time to put out. Though they they teased that one
2: quite they kept a long delaying. time
0: ago, and mm-hmm. it was delayed, and delayed. So they had a lot of time, and they didn't put it together in a good way. Uh, I haven't actually that one. I actually bought that one. I haven't played it since it was patched, so I, I don't know if it's better or not. Um, but you are you talking <laughs> about like this thing in film where you you are talking about like a re-released vision of the film? And I do think this is similar to the director's cut scenario, because in the Blade Runner scenario, that was another example of the studio disagreeing with the director's vision, so the studio overriding Ridley Scott and forcing, you know, the the voiceover and the different ending and that kind of stuff. How long
2: of a gap was that between those two?
0: Uh, About 10 years. 10 years. I looked it up. About 10 years. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So So it was, but uh, what a coincidence. It was just in time for the 10 year anniversary of the film. Mm -hmm. Right. So there is that Mm -hmm. as well. So there's a reason for all this kind of thing. Um, Marketing being a a big part of it. Right. And if they can make money off of it, hey. And it it seems that this Snyder cut has been successful in that people are enjoying it. I don't know.
2: I have, I don't don't think any of us have seen it.
0: I've seen 30 minutes of it.
2: No, I haven't you've seen. seen it. To
0: date
1: minutes. myself, though, you've seen thirty minutes of it. To date myself horribly with some uh, late '90s slang, I can't help but believe that it's just all about the Benjamins. But no Don't one's really interested in whether it's good or bad. It's just whether or not it's going to make
2: money. Couldn't we I look at it in a nice money. way, though? Like if they're they're trying to fix their mistakes. They're trying to they they misread their audience. They misread the tone, and they they launched a faulty product. And are trying to fix it?
1: Yeah, I wonder. But is the only reason, I mean, we know the only reason is to try and recoup cost. And so the question becomes, to me, is it the director's wishes? You know, like, I don't think I'm really that interested in seeing the Snyder Cut because I just, everything I've seen about it since it released just makes it seem like four hours of the same kind of thing. But what I will say is that he is 100% on board with it, right? Mm-hmm. He wants that movie to be made. He never, he...
2: apparently, he never saw the original. His wife and his friend, people who are close to him, saw the original Justice League and made him promise never to go see it. Because <laughs> okay. it was so far removed from what he did, apparently.
1: But I, what my, my, the point I'm making... I think, I don't know if I'm making a point, but the point I'm trying to make is that if the people who were originally invested in the property are trying their best to do right by it, I'm sort of all for it. But when the studio just like, for example, like Blade Runner is a great example where the studio got it wrong at the beginning and the director and the studio have a big falling out because, hey, listen, I told you it wouldn't work that way. And they're like, nope, you have to listen to us and then they he gets scolded and sent to his room and then it doesn't work and then 10 years later they're like well maybe to make some money we could try it your original way that just
2: ah. so is it a way it's a way to drum up um attention and hype for the re-release like just uh sales are plummeting for blade runner so let's slap a new something on it and get in people to cases. buy it again in yeah. some cases
0: yes i think that is the case but in some I mean, cases in other cases, a, a director simply does want to improve the film. George Lucas kept adding to Star Wars. He kept trying to make yes, Star Wars better, right? And yeah, he doing, and it wasn't always in conjunction with a release of the trilogy. Again, the first time and he did, no
1: it, one but, told him no. <laughs> of course not. Know. Um, yeah, but, but I guess know, if it's yours, you can just.
0: Do it. That's right, and he always and he always said he was never happy with the original version of Star Wars, so mm-hmm. that's why he was always tinkering with it. And uh, if you have the luxury to do that, I guess that's your
2: prerogative. And I don't care; the whole world knows it. We've been six murders committed, all in the same circumstances. The evidence points here. There's something to be said here, like if we, because I would argue that, that that wasn't a good thing that he kept tinkering with Star Wars. So if this behavior continues, you know, like if how many famous movies would be twisted versions of what they originally were if? the director kept making a new version every couple of years. When will it end? Yeah. At what point do you say enough is enough? Like we have to leave, like how many cult classics would not be cult classics if it came out, it didn't find its audience. So they recut it in a different way to try to mass appeal. So the big Lebowski is now like, you know, a PG 13 version of itself. And that's the version that's widely available. You know, like, if you keep changing it, you're gonna, you might lose that original magic. In some sure. cases, lose something really special. Um, I guess uh,
1: it's something about Deadpool. They comes did back that with right? Oh, didn't
2: yeah, they didn't have...
1: they make a PG 14 yeah. version of Deadpool or something? Yeah.
2: Didn't they release two versions, though, didn't they? Yeah. Well, yeah, the, yeah. the
0: original was R, and everybody said you can't do an R rated superhero movie, and they did, and it was good, and people liked yeah. it. And then they, um, I think the second one was also R-rated, but they re-released at some point a um, a special version, and they had this funny, these funny cutscenes like uh, from The Princess Bride with um, with Deadpool and Fred Savage. It was very funny, uh, <laughs> so that was good. But uh, but the the idea of like oh let's let's make this let's see if this d- would do just as well if it was rated PG-13, you know that that kind of does take away some of the magic of the first Deadpool, right? That that there's a reason why that's an R-rated character
2: yeah Yeah. Uh, another big example i wanted to bring up was um the thing the 2011 the thing there's a version of that movie where it's all practical effects that nobody ever got to see because the studio or somebody came in and said the practical effects don't look as like don't look good enough they're not working for us they're costing too much like we're just going to cg it all and so that's the version that ended up being released and that it makes me sad to think that there's a practical effects version of that movie out there that we'll never get to see.
1: Well, maybe. When is the 10 year anniversary of that movie?
2: <laughs> that would be year. this year. <laughs> yeah. So, was, yeah.
1: But if there's ever a time for someone to cash in, it would be now. Yeah. Someone's thinking yeah, so about
2: that. As a, as a creative, Gregory, how would you feel if? somebody with money came up to you and said like, I love those books that you did 10 years ago, but I want you to update them where all the guns are changed to walkie talkies.
1: Right. And I was just thinking of ET and the walkie talkie debate. I don't know. Like it's funny because there is a version of me that's recut older properties so that they fit a newer feeling like gone back into old work or reconstituted or recontextualized, you know, as a collage artist, this is a thing I do. So there's part of me that's like, yeah, let it, if you want to cut your thing up and put it back together another way, go for it. But then there's a part of me that's like, make new things, just make new things. And I mean, the difference is if I'm in my studio with a pair of scissors, I have the prerogative to cut up some of my own stuff. But if you're spending a hundred million dollars making a film and then you spend another twenty million dollars remaking that same film, shouldn't you put that twenty million dollars into some new idea? I don't know. I don't know. I'm conflicted about all this. Because my son is playing the new version of like the updated version of Shadow of Colossus, and I couldn't be happier because on the new like on I guess he's on PS4 or whatever he's playing it, that slightly upgraded version is fantastic
2: did they change much or did they just make the graphics prettier because i've only That's i've only prettier. played the original yeah they've just as made as it prettier I can tell,
1: just yeah. prettier
2: but because it was a perfect game to begin with so
1: exactly so yeah. <laughs> all they did was they made the resolution slightly better
2: mm-hmm. right
1: and the uh, i guess the poly count go up is that the proper yeah. lingo video game guy
2: yeah um see so, and you know, i have examples of, of pieces of artwork that I traveled around with for like a year of one version of it, and it just did, it didn't sit with me. Like I, I, I kind of rushed it to get it printed, and I knew I could, I knew I could tweak it and make it better. So I spent like another, you know, just an evening on a piece, changed the color scheme, printed it, and it became like a bestseller like overnight, just because I, I tinkered with it. So the original release was kind of lackluster, and then I changed some things, and it became much more profitable. So I see like, I see where they're coming from.
1: I had an, what was it? It was a piece of fan art. It was an aliens print that I had done. Um, And when I did it originally, I loved it. I was so impressed with, I tried a bunch of new stuff and I had done something that I really thought was original and I changed
2: the color scheme essentially. Is that the the astronaut with the hand coming down reaching for the, the astronaut's head, the the flare, yeah, that's the one. yeah, the yeah flare. with the flare. yeah, he was holding the flare. yeah.
1: and it was all reds and it was all it was you know it was a it was not a scene that appeared in any film. it was just sort of my version of a of a scene and the explorer has this like flare and it's filled the whole cavern with this red glow. and I was just I thought those xenomorph looked pretty great, awash in red light. Uh, Not a single human being agreed with me, though, it seemed when uh, I had it around Um, and I liked it so much. I went back and I was like, "Okay, well, what is it? What is it? I went back and I still wanted to try something else. So I took like an oil slick texture and I, I tried to make the colors now look like white light. And all the surfaces are kind of like the same thing that you'd see if a little bit of oil was in a puddle, you know, that sort of rainbow scintillation so i did a version of it like that and you know that's the mood that matches what people expect from that franchise and then they wanted it and so sometimes your original idea is the wrong fit for something that people recognize but so were you doing also that for color- yourself
2: or were you doing that to please your audience
1: well, I did the second one because I loved that piece. And I was like, why does no one like this? This piece is a great piece. Hey, idiot, right. come over here. Look how great this is, is what your like ego is screaming. Um, but then I was like, well, if I'm going to try something new, I'll try at least a new approach to the coloring. So I, I didn't just like go back to uh, Ridley Scott colors. I went and tried to figure out something that was also sort of stolen from nature. I went and took some photo reference of like, oily ponds and gross stuff and tried to figure it out, you know? So yeah, but I mean, that's the other thing we're using, when you're talking about fan art, you're talking about something that actually is something that people are going to recognize as its own thing. And so they want it to taste the same, if you will. Uh, But when you're making something new, you can feel very disappointed if it doesn't grip an audience right away.
2: That's well, true. we've been we've been talking um, about franchises. We've been talking about, yeah, the Justice League isn't an original idea. So it's I think talking about fan art in the same breath as talking about Justice League movie is fair game. Here,
0: here's right. my, my <laughs> take on the whole Justice League thing. The Snyder Cut is that like for me to re-release a four-hour movie that's something that is for the existing fans it's not likely to bring in a lot of new fans to the to the justice League so that that seems to me that the film is being made it is being made yes to make money Warner Brothers wants to make more money on it but also there were there was to, it does meet an oak a note or a demand rather it meets the demand um for some people wanted to see this and uh, and those people seem to be receiving it well so I think that um it's ultimately it's Good to have another version of it.
2: And what do you think about this? The fact that it's a four-hour version.
0: I mean, I don't think. Well, you're
1: watching it at
2: home.
0: Yeah, that's true. But I honestly don't believe that. I don't buy that it was intended to be an originally a four-hour. It would never have been four hours in its original. If nothing had happened and Zack Snyder had gone on to finish it as planned, it would have been like a three-ish, three, maybe three and a half. I think
2: at one point they were playing around with it being two movies. I don't know at okay, what point well, that I would be, trapped, that, but... that would
0: be like a Kill Bill 1 and 2 kind of situation, right? That yeah, would, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, that would be fine too. And then, and then I, I had also heard at one point after when they kept talking about this Snyder Cut and how long it was going to be, there were some people just saying they should do a series, right? Because a lot of this mm-hmm. kind of stuff is being released as like series. You look at things like The Mandalorian and WandaVision and The Winter Soldier Show and it's just as good as as movies,
2: right? If you might suffer a sound stroke. Might you not suffer some similar evil from the rays of the moon? Moonstruck, you mean? Exactly.
1: I wonder if all this armchair philosophizing about, like, well, why don't they just make it a series? These are people, and myself included, I often am like this. I'm like, oh, you should have just done that. But then when you think of the dollars and cents, these days, if you have a, a movie, say, in the $50 million or up range, right? And these movies are much more expensive than that. Then you're spending at least equal to the budget of your film promoting it. Mm-hmm. So if you spent $300, 000, $300 million making your movie, you have to spend another $300 million promoting it. And so now, if you're doing two films, now you need more than a billion dollars. Like, it's not just like, oh, well, we should do this because it makes sense, right? People are still slaves to the budget constraints of what the market will bear at what time and what crews are available and who can do that cgi and what rendering farms are there you know it's there's so many it's so easy to sit back right now and say hashtag release the you know chasing artwork cut but right that's all we're doing is just being cry babies and like oh that movie didn't turn out the way i liked it make another one Make another version. That, and th- this and is, I think a, this is
0: the, inherently the-, the problem. This is the problem is that these people got what they wanted. They got the Snyder cut. Now there's well, a demand. I saw a new thing, a demand for the, the Snyderverse to come back. So the entire plan was to have all these movies connected right. and to continue on with that, which I think DC is kind of, Warner Brothers rather, has kind of uh, abandoned that. And they're looking at a more single kind of release movies and that kind of thing. They're not looking to connect it all together anymore. I thought anyway.
2: This is all Sonic the Hedgehog's fault because the internet bullied <laughs> like, that company into that changing was, the that design. The,
0: I agree with that. that <laughs> bullying. I don't know if I can do that. Can I agree with bullying? Um, I think in that case, they did improve the, improve the uh, CGI of Sonic.
2: <laughs> yeah, that was that was fun. It's, it's neat. I, uh, I think this, um, like, I think we've, we've all been kind of seeing it for years. The, the amount of time people kind of sit and consume media has been changing a lot. So like the idea of watching an entire series over like a couple of days or or even like in two or three sittings, like a couple of years ago, that was, that was unheard of. That was like, yeah, you had like box sets of DVDs and stuff, but now like people are consuming so much media so quickly. I think we're going to see more and more, Three four hour movies being like a common thing just because people are used to consuming so much more. I think that's going to become the standard. I think we're seeing a, a shift in view times, really, for movies. Oh, the, yeah, uh,
0: I think yeah, so. Maybe you, I, I think I it's, seem to have heard something similar. Bad that for us,
2: is it bad for us?
0: What's bad? It's
1: so bad for us, like, what well, uh, well, you know just think of it like this. Like when you're talking to people who are binging a show, uh, I was talking to our friend uh, James about this recently, Justin, that you're binging a show and you're talking to someone else who's just binged it. And you ask them to name even two of the characters. They can't. Right. The, the, you ask them to like pontificate on a subplot or like a particular shot or like a pacing issue. They can't it just washes over them as this glut of media. And I just wonder, right, are we going to just see a sharp decline in quality as we
2: increase the quantity? It's not special anymore. You don't have to go to Blockbuster and and take time to pick out your movie. You can just watch three amazing movies back to back to back for $5 a month. I watched...
1: (laughs) uh, i watched uh the documentary the last blockbuster Mm -hmm. and i have to say that as they were as they were panning that camera through the blockbuster i could feel it in my heart how i longed for a slow media to return (laughs) um but now i'm just an old man shouting at clouds so (laughs) right i wonder i wonder um but, you know, we're talking about, about re-releasing uh, projects of our own and doing some, some tweaks to it. You know, a 1.5 version of a book where it's got some more back matter and things like that. You know, we've talked about that. So if it's just what people want,
2: I guess. Yeah. So we're doing okay. that because we've, we ran out of the first run of the book. It's pretty much done. People still want to buy the book. So rather than reprint it exactly as is, we thought why not give people some added value and add some a couple more pages of back matter and previews of the next steps of the project and stuff like that
1: yeah um, the book in question that, to your dear your listener is Cassie uh, Cassian Tonk which we're functionally yeah. sold out of when when did
2: that you feels like we've got our when's the 2014 hour? 2014 uh, um,
0: your anniversary okay sure <laughs> yeah.
2: Um, but that uh, feels like we've that. got our wholesome hats on more than our business hats for that one.
0: It's it's both though. It's okay that it's yeah. both. You know? like, <laughs> uh, that's why that's what I'm trying to say. Like it, it's there's always going to be a reason for a re-release. People are going to want you know there's an anniversary to celebrate or or you know there's a different person came in to direct it or whatever. But for the most part, people seem to like. I, I can't think of a, a time where a re-release was not like a good thing. Um, as far as like it improved the original product. Maybe, maybe in, in the case of Star Wars, maybe. But
1: ET's ET's uh, horrible yeah. catastrophe.
0: That's true, and that was But didn't they put it back to the regular way now?
1: <laughs> yeah, because then they tried it. They're like, you know what people want? They want this movie to be totally a vanilla ice cream cone. And then people were like, no, gross. And they're like, okay, we're going to change it back to what it was. Perfect.
2: Sprinkles again.
1: <laughs> yeah uh so strange so strange um yeah i don't know this whole re-release repackage re-up thing because we're gonna have to rebrand right we're gonna have to relaunch into the world of uh shows again and i was just thinking about this i was talking to uh tara i was like yeah you know if i if i had to go to a show tomorrow i have three brand new books that no one has ever really seen of on the show floor. I'd, I have to recreate my entire setup, and re- I'm sort of glad I don't have to do it anytime soon. <laughs> but I'm essentially going to be completely unrecognizable simply for the amount of new content. Yeah. When I show up again, of should shows ever return? 2023 when, now. When? More likely. When shows?
2: When? Yeah. Should.
1: When? Hmm. Uh huh.
2: So the other thing that I wanted to talk about on the podcast and bring up was um, I've been listening to Dan Harmon's podcast recently, um, Harmontown, where uh, it takes Harmontown takes place um, season three of community came out and Dan Harmon was fired um, from the network. He's a, he's a, he's quite the character. I think he's pretty hard to work with. Um, So yeah, he was hired or fired from community and he kind of took some time off to do a podcast and his, the format of his podcast is kind of weird. He's basically in the back of a comic book store and he's drinking the whole time and he's playing D and D half the time. And he's just talking, talking about stuff. And as you go along in the podcast at one point, this is uh, like 2013 is when I'm starting. So at one point in the podcast here, He's talking about how like he's he's still community has continued on without him. It's like season four, which was a bad season. And he is in the middle of pitching two new sitcoms, like one to Fox and one to like CBS. And he's like really stressed out about these pitches and like the amount of work and effort and how much heart he's putting into them. And then he's also got this little side project that he's doing with Adult Swim that nobody's ever going to see about this mad scientist and his nephew having adventures nobody's going to see it but it's like he's he loves how how it's turning out but it's probably going nowhere but anyways back to the, like the pilots Rick of, these, and like, Morty, we were of. About his, like and man, that sorry. was and that is the in, that was like the first time he talked about Rick and Morty as it was like a back burner like this is just for fun this is like my stress outlet that's probably not going to go anywhere but i love it the most But it was just so funny to hear about how all his focus went into some pitches that never went anywhere. And then this little project that became the empire that is Rick and Morty, like it's that's a massive, massive franchise now. And I just love how it started as like just a a thing I'm trying on the side of like all my other things.
1: This brings us back to my point about integrity and like interest and like what it is that you're motivated in doing. Right. The thing he was he was finding soulless in creating turned out to be the thing that, you know, (laughs) whether you like Rick and Morty or not, uh, it's definitely not to everyone's taste. It is certainly of a particular person's taste, like it is incredibly of a thing, right? It's its they, own
2: Yeah, I don't think they like, take any notes from that network on that show. Or, yeah, it doesn't seem like they do, right? It's a pretty raw show. And I love goodness. that it's it's gotten as popular and as huge as it has. It's I think they were... They're, they're greenlit for, like, another 100 episodes in a movie or something. At this point, they're just throwing money at the franchise because it's so successful.
1: Well, so... And that's the yeah. thing, right? So if she really wanted to make a community show like community. He could have, but he didn't. So he went off and did a different thing.
2: I think he didn't want to. He he didn't get greenlit. He ended up going
1: back to community after that.
2: And he did go back to community, yeah.
1: That's right. Um, Yeah, after, I believe, sexual harassment issue was uh, solved. Um, Yeah. Solved, I hang air quotes over that. There's a really okay for anyone interested as to the deep dark side of why he got fired from community. Look up the Dan Harmon apology; it's actually really interesting. We won't belabor it here, but it's a very long explanation in his own words about everything he did wrong, um, and I have to say it's pretty raw and surprising that um, someone in that kind of position would just own up to everything bad. Right? Only stiffs go in there tonight. No, kid.
2: No kidding. What's
1: keeping you out? I'm going. What? Oh, nice job. Sorry, I got interrupted by my children who have taken their very first self directed trip to 7 Eleven on their own.
2: Oh, that's a really
1: passage. Yeah, they had switchblades in their pockets, they had a hand drawn, crayon drawn map of where they were going, and they've just returned. So I apologize for the interruption, but I'm glad to see you guys have arrived safely. <laughs> oh, man. Um but yeah, anyway, we won't belabor that, but people should look it up. It's it's worth it. It's uh in this uh uh cancel culture movement, it's really interesting to see somebody who's like, actually, yep, I was terrible, and here's all the ways I was terrible. Um, nobody has to forgive me. I don't expect you to. Uh, and then he belabors it by explaining in vivid detail everything that he's ever done wrong. Like, I don't know how, once you admit to it, you don't get sued into oblivion. But uh, I guess he had some legal advice. I'm not sure.
2: Yeah, but the point I was...
1: Community, which is your point, I think. Sorry? he He didn't recut. He didn't go back and redo season three. He just made season four.
2: No, my We're my fine. point with this is have a lot of irons in the fire because you never know what's going to be the one that's going to make you the happiest and be the most successful thing, right? You shouldn't just. He was putting all his hopes and dreams into these two pitches, and the thing he was having fun with on the side was what ended up being his bread and butter. You know, yeah, like I don't.
1: So many things hmm. So many things.
2: Um,
1: there's this great. Uh, um, OK, so here's a funny aside from that. I've been uh, down the rabbit hole of old Monty Python um, as every basically male of my vintage tends to do at some point in their life. They go down the Monty Python rabbit hole. But learning how John Cleese made all of his money making Instructional videos for corporations, not from really? Python, but from these, yeah. And they're like, like his same.
0: Sorry, what I said? Meetings, bloody meetings. That's the name of one of the videos that he did. I watched it and called it.
1: There's so many. Yeah. There are so many of them, and they're actually hilarious. They're like parody videos of how corporations run. And he sold them to corporations about how they could run better.
2: So corporations were hiring him to make legit how-to videos.
1: That's right, using humor to train people, right? And uh, how to like sort of harness creativity in the workplace. Um, And then his videos would be about how your boss will never let you do this because he's a soul-sucking monster, you know, like this kind of stuff. just absolutely hilarious but it marries these two ideas of like a person that wants to be subversive they want to take they want to talk truth to power and the only person that can afford to pay for it is the power (laughs) itself so you sell it to that power right uh and that's kind of like the perfect scenario is like if you can find a way rick and morty is like that it makes fun of corporate television it makes fun of network television it makes fun of all kinds of cartoon tropes it all makes of its fun sponsors of it like its work.
2: sponsorship commercials yeah. are just them ripping apart wendy's or pringles or wearing a pringles ad morty <laughs>
1: <laughs> and so it's like if you can figure out some way to make it work but you got to be careful not to parody yourself like this is what i'm saying is all the stuff i've seen about this The Snyder cut of Justice League It feels like a parody of itself Like it feels like Zack Snyder Making a movie that's making fun of other Zack Snyder movies I've seen When I see the trailer, the new trailer for Justice League All in slow motion, in the rain To Leonard Cohen I'm like, oh, you're making fun of all your other movies Wait, no, you're not No, this is, okay, this is your style of cinema Okay That's right, that's That's what it is do I like that style of cinema? I really did in The Watchmen, I'll admit. I did it 300. Um, yeah, yeah 300. 300. Yeah. But so, uh, Does it I don't
2: know feel insincere I... to you, this Snyder Cut?
1: I guess it... I don't know. That's what I mean. Like, he's so into having done it, so I guess good for him that uh, the people with the keys to the kingdom said yes and opened their checkbook to make it work. I mean, like, there are a lot of projects you and I have done where if someone came to us and said, we love this, here's a check for however much money, make it as bigger, make it bigger than you've ever dreamed making something. And we're going to promote it.
2: Change the guns to walkie talkies and we'll promote the heck out of it. Maybe
1: I would just because I have never done that before. That'd be one of my reasons to do it is that I haven't done it before.
2: Yeah, my, my answer immediately goes to like, okay, if I if I can do that on that project, that'll feed all my other projects that I get to do. Like if I sell right. out over here, I get to create over here.
1: It is what you end up starting to think about. But there is, I wonder, that's a, a death by a thousand cuts. But then on the same side, look at how we're criticizing or not criticizing or whatever. We're casting a lot of shade on a lot of different properties right now. Uh, that's just the price of being known right everyone now has an opinion of you and so half of the people will like you and half of the people won't like you and that's just how it is but if half of the people is like a hundred million downloads (laughs) at twenty dollars a pop i think you're probably okay to accept the hatred i don't know if i would be i'm not made of stern that sternest stuff
2: cross that bridge when
1: you get to it <laughs> yeah i wonder and there's a lot of talk right now about like fan discourse being i mean this is in in bookland does fan discourse meaning everyone talking about what their favorite is why it's that way who should you know what character should be with what other character how the story should end all that stuff
2: that it should never yeah.
1: be directed at the author
2: yeah no they're they're idiots never listen to them
1: Right. But
2: it's impossible
1: to be a living author and not see what your fans think yeah. about. If you are participating in what your publisher insists is promotion, which is engaging with fans about their theories.
2: Can't do that. I feel right? like there's a, a famous example of an author creative, listening to the fans and giving them exactly what they wanted. And it flopping. They, 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 changed an ending or did something god anyways don't do it it's people don't know what they want until you give it to them right so if you listen to them yeah it's not going to turn out and this is Ah, okay we're going to get high-minded for a second
1: we're going to get high-minded in the grand discourse of storytelling the printed page right a story being one way is relatively new to human history right? Just the last couple hundred years, you had a version of a book. There's the definitive version of Dracula, for example, it's that version. But if it had existed as a fable or as an oral history or existed like, um, you know, the Odyssey or the Iliad, right? As an oral tradition for centuries, you would have all these different versions. If you go looking for Sigurd and the Dragon, you know, uh you find all kinds of different versions there are considered to be the definitive version but what makes it definitive is just that it sold more copies than another these days it used to be that people would tell whatever story of baba yaga they wanted whatever suited them in order to get their point across and now we've got this idea that like this version of the story is my favorite it's the one that has to be and you shouldn't retell it but the long tradition of stories are that you retell them and they're different
2: so should a story never be set in stone in your opinion
1: right that's what i'm saying like yeah you know there is uh and again it's as soon as a dollar gets attached to it you have the fights right the reason why you have to have copyright is so that a publisher can say this is our version no one else's when william shakespeare was He was one of the first people to try and make money off his own plays because people were showing up in the audience, copying down his plays word for word, then taking them to the printing presses and having them produced and then selling copies of his plays. And it incensed him that the versions they were purchasing were the wrong versions. They were some other person's copy of a copy of a copy and realized that he could make money if he made his own versions, but even those versions, they're not all the same, right? If you go back into the history of that stuff, you start to see that that revisionist idea. And so now we come back around. So I guess it's okay if George Lucas puts in walkie-talkies because that's the version he wanted that year. <laughs> and Spielberg. if Darth Vader is, or Spielberg, pardon me. So it's, well, but I thought him and Lucas worked together to make that happen.
0: Oh, maybe. I don't know. Was he involved? In right? that? He I, was, don't I don't think he was a producer on E.T. I think he was. They just did the Indiana Jones movies together, right? Good evening, Professor Duke. How are you feeling tonight? Horrible. Well, I'm sorry to hear that.
1: Well, if it makes you feel sorry to hear things like that, then don't ask questions. And if you're going to retell the story of Star Wars, I think it'd be more compelling to retell it from Leia's perspective from the beginning. So maybe that's why I'm going to start telling. <laughs> right? Or that maybe Leia is Vader, after all. He pulls off the mask and it's Leia under there, right? Luke, I am your sister. Hey, how you doing? Remember that or, time we kissed or, or passionately? They were
0: never they were never brother and sister, and their kissing got more and more, and they becoming romantically involved, and Han is just kind of tossed to the curb.
2: Or they are brother and sister, and now it's Game of Thrones. So now this is just <laughs> fan fiction, you guys.
1: Well, that's Mom. the but the point <laughs> I'm making is that is that anytime you retell a story, it's fan fiction. Right. In fact, any story told through the lens of another speaker becomes a different story. Right. Because your own bias, your own internal mechanisms sort the information according to your own preferences and then spit out a version of it. Right. If I tell you the version of a movie I love and you tell me a version of that same movie that but you don't like it, we're not going to tell the same version of the story.
2: It's true. Right. Hmm
1: and then that it comes around to another i think important facet of the argument is that not all, not every story is for every person and this uh, this this predilection of saying okay we're going to make a mainstream story and it has to be representative of as many different cultures as we can shoehorn into it on the screen um at, but they don't make it the point of the story. They're just trying to shoehorn in stuff because someone is saying, this is how you make a multicultural show. Now it shows, right. It shows up and you realize that it's, you know, it's, it's falls flat. Whereas shows that are coming from a more honest place, telling a story that is, uh, you know, not the, uh, white male privilege, cis-gen, you know, point of view say, um, And they're doing it because it's their passion to do that. Those stories are amazing.
2: They carry themselves forward, right? You reminded me of that um, all the women lineup in Endgame, Avengers Endgame, where there's that scene during the battle where all the girls get together just for a photo shoot. And then,
1: oh, that took me out of the movie.
2: Oh, yeah, it's it's bad. Totally pandering. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I would have preferred a scene there. uh, If you were going to do the same thing, like, I mean, I don't have daughters, but my friends who do have daughters, their their daughters love that scene. So that's amazing. My daughter didn't. I would have had the whole cast I would have had the whole cast together and had the men all get picked off as they're charging forward, right? Like all the big macho bravado, there you got picked off and then the ladies are still standing. That would have been actually funny, instead of such a a like, here's the men, now here's the women, right? That actually sets up the wrong, I don't know. But also just I didn't have $500 that, million dollars to make that movie. Yeah. So I don't get to call yeah. it.
2: Yeah. Any Any scenes or shows that just seem to be more dripping with the marketing's fingers on it than like the marketing team having too much control versus somebody creative trying to tell a story? Yeah, that bugs me. And is it getting worse or is it getting well, better? we've
1: talked about that too. Uh, I wonder worse sometimes and better other times. I don't know.
0: It's going to depend on how this Uh, whole theater thing shakes out. Um, Anger, anger. Last, we did see um, I've been thinking about it. We did see a bit of a surge of director's cuts and alternate cuts and new versions in the 90s late 90s early 2000s when DVDs when were
2: when really DVDs big. came out
0: and and so yeah. they were selling a lot of box sets and a lot of collector's discs. and and I mean those kinds of things still do exist I mean I'm sure they're going to release a box set of Justice League Snyder cut very nice you know and all that fancy stuff um, and there will be an audience for that but for the most part people don't buy physical DVDs anymore so that's yeah. theaters most my mic is screwing up. Okay, here we go. Um, if theaters go away, um, then that's kind of, kind of not. There's not going to be an occasion to like. That's another reason that people go see movies in the theaters to see it again in the theater. Do you know what I mean? Like that. That takes away another option for re-releases, is what I'm saying. Because uh, I mean, I yeah, went. Yeah,
2: Terminator see- Two was re-released in theaters. Yeah,
1: that was great. See, oh, uh, I went to see that in the theater.
0: It's so good, it and it's good. so good to see, and especially for for films that you didn't see the first time around. Like, I didn't see The Exorcist the first time around, but they re-released it in the theater, mm. uh, like, two thousand, early 2000s, again, around this time. and it, But it was a different version. It was an extended cut. I can't remember what they called it. It was a director's cut or what it was, but it was a longer version of The Exorcist with added stuff. And it was fine. I didn't mind it at Did all. They
2: start- Did they stop plop did they start plopping three D on movies, or did it have to be shot in three D to be seen in three D? Oh, uh mm, both? were they doing that same thing?
0: thing? There was a conversion (laughs) process. I don't think it works very well. I don't think it turned out. Most most movies I saw that were converted didn't look very good. Hmm. So it's always better to shoot with the right three D cameras, I think. Why? What do you ask? Right.
2: No, I was just wondering if there was that same kind of surge of re-release. Like there's a new format, like DVD and then Blu-ray, and then oh we can make things 3D. So like any excuse to re-release our product with a, a new sticker on it. Yeah. Right. I think
1: they could okay, I'm gonna predict a trend in media. Re releases of super short versions, twenty-two minute versions of the films and movies that you love. <laughs> then they don't they do that for flights? Or something yeah they adjusted for flights no what i mean is like imagine now a, a uh i want to watch all the avengers but i don't want to catch up god that's so many hours and i just want to watch the new show so instead i'm going to binge 20 episodes of a 22 minute version of the good parts versions like the music video versions of these films and movies so that you can become super film literate without having to
2: well, I mean they they have that on YouTube they have the super cuts of yeah pick a series pick a, a movie series pick a a TV series on YouTube there's some kind of like abridged version where like you know all of Naruto in 10 minutes boom so
1: See, because I think that's really important if you want to talk about things as if you're the expert for your whole life, but you don't actually want to put in any effort to become able to attack people online for their opinions. This would be a really useful service to Internet trolls. So like you could have all the great works of cinema boiled down to 10 minute versions and then people could watch those. And then you could really get the arguments really boiling on the Internet about what's good and what's bad. That's what I
2: think. Yeah, it exists. So YouTube. Name. Yeah. All of Avengers explained in 10 minutes by Scream. It's usually some something. twerp, though. Yeah. There, usually some twerp.
0: There, okay, so Be I,
2: sure I, to like and subscribe.
0: It's, fun, it's funny that you guys mentioned this because I actually found one of these a few weeks ago. Um, it's called 90 to 5. It's, it's uh, apparently an editing challenge. Um, and it looks like they've had competitions over the years and, and, uh, basically they kind of name a movie that a 90 minute long movie around 90 minutes. And then the challenge is to edit it down to five minutes, but still be able to tell the story. Oh. Right. So 90 to five, nine zero T O five, the numeral five. That's how you find it on YouTube. And so I'd found when I, I was do, putting in clips for, I can't remember which episode, but the clips were from the film, uh, the Colossus of New York, um, uh, I found that edit and it was so good for getting clips because they were all, all the good lines were all kind of in this one edit. <laughs> so it was awesome. But, but and you look at the, the YouTube channel and there's like dozens and dozens of films um, and not a ton of sci fi, but I mean, there's all kinds of genres and all kinds of movies. It's really- That's
1: our niche. That's our niche, Dan. Quotables. <laughs> That's what we'd call it. It would just be all the quotable lines from the movie all spliced together into one coherent little. B storyline,
0: yeah, and but they're also doing things like editing some um, some of the footage that doesn't like have a lot of dialogue. They're using that as B roll from other dialogues, so they're like really condensing it well, and still you're still able to tell the the story of the film in that short amount of time. So some
2: professional editing, you really know what? Well. I would I would love to see. I don't know if this has ever been really done for like normal people to see, but the raw footage of a movie given to like three different editors and we get to see the three different movies that those editors, like one guy wanted it really dark. One guy wanted it kind of funny. One guy wanted, I would love that. Wouldn't that be cool? Like here's four hours of raw footage, edit us a 90 minute movie. Go, go, go. Kind of like um, Rodriguez and Tarantino, like the, that huge, the middle of the dust till dawn, just suddenly a different movie.
1: Even with my smidgen of experience on film sets, I would tell you that you could never do that. Well, I shouldn't say never, but it'd be really unlikely to pull that off for a 90-minute feature, the amount of... But you could do it for a short film. You could have a short film where the cinematographer is uh, ubiquitous. It's the same cinematographer being told by three different directors what shots they want, because the director is cutting that film in their head as they're. So you could have the... You know, it'd be sort of like a play, a well done play. Imagine a play where the actors are well rehearsed, where the beats are all done, where they have their own thing. A director has come in and directed that play. And then three film directors come in with three different film crews and they're gonna now cut a version of that off the same performance. That would be the way, there's actually a uh, like an experiment. There's a grant proposal in that. The Canadian government has yeah. <laughs> money to make this happen. The lunar rays will never affect you or me,
2: sir, because we are normal people. Sure, but it affects strangely certain neurotic types. Greg, you and I have talked about that before, right? Where we thought it'd be a really cool idea to take like two or three different artists, all give them the same script, oh. and then they go away make that comic and see what that comic turns out because it'd be vastly different. Yeah, we've talked about that a few would, times. Yeah. I'd love to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Well, and even because of the way scripting works, you know, some artists prefer... A beat structure some prefer a, a really tight script some prefer um to just come in after with the scripting like and to have the have everyone work from the same uh treatment but break it down for their artists differently and the three artists do it yeah that would be a great experiment if you did it for a short story like a a 10-page story or um I'm just thinking of how the divisions would work. You could do three people, seven pages each, and you could get it all in a single issue. So it would be that same story told three different ways all inside the uh, page count of a regular comic. That could be fun.
2: Sounds like that must have been done. Somebody's got to have done that.
1: I've never seen it, and I've seen a lot of well, comics. I tracked down true. a lot of weird stuff, but um, I would love to see that.
2: That would be neat. Hmm. Hmm.
1: Who would you get? If you could, any artist that you could name now. Like, whether you could afford them or not. Who's some people you'd like to see do stuff differently? Justin Curry. I don't see, because I'd, I'd...
2: A lot of the artists that I like are kind of in a similar vein. So I'd want to do my research and find, like, some drastically different artists. I want somebody, like... Yeah. I'd, I'd want like a magical, like lowish is. kind of style. I'd want somebody like dark and dreary. I don't know. Yeah. I'd, I'd want three distinct flavors.
0: <laughs> I think Mike or I think Greg would want Mike McNola.
2: Oh, yeah.
1: Uh, for sure. I would want uh, to see, I'm just thinking of uh, two like regular cuts for me it would be like Dave McKean and Mike Magnola both tackling the same story. That would be an incredible diversion of styles. Um, But also this uh, Jesse Lonergan, Jesse Lonergan, um, did a book called uh, Hedra, which is, um, as far as I know, the only comics work that this person has done. And they just did an incredible job breaking down story into these tiny little panels. Love it. A departure from both Dave and uh, Mike's style for sure. I'd love to see something like that. That would be a really, how do you make that work? That's also got Canada Council for the Arts grant (laughs) stamped all over it. Um, You know what you would do to make it work? And for the dear listener who's wondering what I'm talking about, our wonderful nation has the ability to ask for money for non-commercial projects that exist in an artistic space. Uh, with some monicum of integrity so you could maybe take a historical event right a key historical event in canada and have four or five artists all tell the same event the same beat structure in their own style from their own point of view and you could you could you could tell a you could get a pretty great story out of that
2: you could have the the story start fairly vague too because really how much how much accuracy is really in some of that old history, right? It's, it's, you're not seeing yeah, it from all angles. Victory, so. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. But that would be neat. That would be yeah. neat. Cause I participated in
1: uh, the book, this place, which is retelling the counter history of Canada, 150 years of Canada from the uh, point of view of the colonized, not the colonizer. Uh, And I just illustrated Sean and Rachel's story in there. And I got to see a very different version of Canada than I had been taught growing up. Um, Mm -hmm. So I just, there is, uh, there's something to that. There's something to that. Um, And it's interesting that we got to this place, which I'm actually now very uh, creatively invested in the concept of from something that I was so distantly create creatively interested in which is the snyder cut like i couldn't have been less interested in an uh, emotional expression than that uh and now we're on to something i think we're on something here yeah interesting um let's come back for a second we're gonna i i know i just shit all over uh snyder there but uh what about man <laughs> of steel what about which it? i liked i don't i liked it i yeah
2: People, i, I, I I enjoyed
1: it. I don't people know. hate it. There are parts of it that I, you know,
0: I don't I mean, like. I mean, the, the the only part about it that I liked was the Krypton scene at the beginning. That was that was pretty cool. That was neat. That um, was wonky. But, yeah. but that's because that's part of Superman. I I mean, I wasn't that familiar with that aspect of Superman, the, the deep history of Superman. But certainly on film, we'd never seen that before. But I don't know. I I'm like one. Of the, I'm in the I'm in the minority though. I'm also one of these people that like Superman Returns. Uh, better than Man of Steel. I loved that movie. I loved check. it. Yeah, I've... loved it. About it. I don't know why they get. Sorry, my mic screwed up again. Um, I don't know why people get so upset about Superman Returns. It's fine.
2: It's because it's... he never threw a punch. I
1: mean, yeah, there's no there's not no great fight in it. But isn't that okay? Not every movie is for every person. Look at the yeah.
0: look at the um the original Christopher Reeve Superman movies. Like he wasn't. Punching out lex Luthor all the time he was like going up he was spinning around the world he was doing stuff like that he wasn't punching people you know
1: he was catching yeah and in fact you could things. argue that. yeah that it was him pretending to be uh clark kent that was the most enjoyable parts of those movies yeah
2: when See, we know yeah that, that's kind of the scary thing with this remaking the movie trend or or what might become a trend is if a movie, like a great film, is made before its time and then it will never be discovered because it's quickly remade into a more appropriate version for the closest audience.
1: Oh, I hadn't thought of that. Yeah.
2: You're wrecking a beautiful painting that the future is going to really appreciate before they get a chance to see it.
1: Yeah. Although so many great works of Renaissance art are paintovers of other works of Renaissance art.
2: Well, how many famous artists died penniless and poor and unrecognized, and then it was only years later that people figured out that they were amazing.
1: I, d- I don't want to dissuade you of your illusions, Justin, but that's also now. That's, <laughs> that's also now. happens now no. all the time. Penniless artists die cold and alone, unrecognized, unrealized, unappreciated. Uh, that is, in fact. More than ever happened in all of prehistory is probably happening now because of our population. Just the just the sheer factoring of the math of our population means sadly, oh, this went to a dark place. More artists probably will die in the next decade, unfulfilled, unrealized, then it works all both ways though. Art. There's
2: also more successful artists and more artists making a living from their artwork than ever before. Yeah, Can but is just it go just go to- by
1: percentage? Is it just always the same? Is it always like that 2% makes it and that 98% suffers? No. And the higher the population, no, no, now, the more suffering?
0: Because now we have governments who now give money, as you said,
1: to uh, yeah. help them out. Oh, you can't so, live, you live off that. You well, can just pay a few people to participate.
2: Come on. It <laughs> gives you more of a chance to uh, to really get a foothold in there and make Let's a living up, out of it. Yeah.
1: It's been an hour. Let's wrap it up. Well,
2: should we redo this podcast with a different direction? Oh, let's do the podcast
1: over again, starting now with more jokes, less and let's talk. uh, What's a movie we'll talk about instead that'll be more culturally (laughs) relevant? Caddyshack.
2: Caddyshack.
0: How about I'll do, I'll no, do, half, it in, it? I'll do half in slow mo so that our one hour podcast becomes a three hour
2: four hours long.
1: Oh,
0: I
2: love it. Ooh. The directors, oh, we could do, do like a commentary where we're watching this, listening to this podcast and commentating on what we're talking about. Oh,
1: let's call com- let's do a director's <laughs> commentary on, on our, our podcast. podcast?
2: Our most successful podcast. We should go back and listen to our most successful podcast and do a commentary on it and re-release
1: wow, that's it. Like, that's like <laughs> our heads so far up our own asses at that point that like, what, what are you going to do? That's incredible. Well, this has been super pulp science where we're encouraging you to remix, remake, recut, re-envision all your old work for new audiences whenever you can because the world is a hollow shell that only wants to be fed its own dreams in tiny pieces, a bite at a time. This has been Super Pulp Science. Gregory's also encouraging you to join the fight and make comics.